Welcome to Demand Does the Six Questions, where the same six questions can tell a unique story. I am your host, Demand, father of two, husband of one, and leader of this here Demodcast. My next guest is a world-renowned video game and tabletop RPG developer. He has been involved with some of the most influential games in history, whether as a producer, voice actor, it's easy for me to say, or founding his own company. His resume includes working with Disney and Blizzard on such titles as Warcraft, Starcraft, and Diablo, which was so addicting, one of my friends lost his job playing it. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for Bill Roper! Oh man, how do I come with that? I feel bad your friend lost his job. We didn't mean that to happen. Well, that's what he gets for being irresponsible. I thought it'd be a nice little bit of (laughs) trivia. (laughs) I didn't say I felt bad for him. I just said it happened. (laughs) Well, you know, we've found a lot of people uh, over... Over the years, really, really got into the games. I think it's great because that means they probably really enjoyed them. But uh, sometimes to the detriment of their personal lives, though, sometimes we do have stories of people that met playing games like Warcraft or Starcraft or Diablo or, you know, and and actually they had relationships and got married and all kinds of stuff. So I think you take out of it what you, you know, whatever you put into it. So so it's, uh, I'm sorry your friend lost his gig, but uh, I'm, I'm happy that uh, he had a good time doing it. <laughs> he was waiting tables. <laughs> so it was something that he could, uh, he could eat easily, uh, easily, easier replace, I guess. It wasn't a, de- it wasn't a, <clears throat> what, uh, a real job, I guess. I don't know. I don't know how to, how else to say it. Oh, that's a hard job. That's a, that's a real job. Amen to that. Well, that's, yeah, amen to that. that. I did that for far too long, and everybody should have to work with the public before they go into any private sector job just so they understand how to treat people and what it's like to be on the business end of Christmas in the mall. Absolutely. All right. So <laughs> thank you for thank you for coming out, man. Before we get started, tell the listeners – where we can find you. Where would you like to be found? If you go on Twitter, I haunt that particular online social media location, uh, which is just at Bill Roper. Pretty easy uh, to find me there. I think the other place I'm doing the most appearing is on Twitch with the Happy Jacks RPG Network, which is I'm uh, GMing a traveler game right now. Oh. So I've got uh, every... Every other Monday, we just had our session a couple days ago, taking uh, a crew of amazing players through the uh, gritty homebrewed universe of Yuma Station out on the edge of the galaxy. And then the other place you could find me, if you, especially if you ever played Disney Infinity uh, and enjoyed that game, and especially if you're into the figures, I have a TikTok channel, which is at Bill Freakin Roper on TikTok, and um, I do a ton of Disney Infinity stuff on there. I've tried different stuff there. I've done some music. I've done, I do some stuff where I go out into the world and I put googly eyes on things uh, humorously. Uh, People tend to like that as well, but the Infinity thing is really what stuck. And I found a lot of what TikTok is about is kind of finding your niche that people are excited about viewing and sharing. And um, that's been a ton of fun, you know, revisiting a lot of the work we did with Disney Infinity creating all the figures and doing the design. So 
those are the spots you can go find me on the interwebs. Bill Roper, are you ready to answer the six questions? I'm ready. Let's do it. Question number one. When did you know you wanted to get into video games? And I mean, you do all kinds of things, voice acting, you do mm -hmm. music. What was the impetus? Like, what brought you to this world? Well, I grew up playing games when I was really young. Both my parents used card games to help me uh, learn basic math skills. And so my mother taught me cribbage, which is all about quickly counting to 15 and 31. Those are kind of your key points you're looking for in that game. And my dad taught me blackjack, which is all about counting to 21. That gave me a foundation. You know, they, they were doing uh, like, you know, edutainment before that was a thing, using games to, to get me to, you know, absorb math at a very young age. My parents had, strangely enough, a friend who worked at Atari very, very, very early. This will show you how old I am, that when I was really young, when Pong came out, the home system, they said, hey, we're going to have this new thing coming out at Christmas. And do you think Bill might want it for Christmas? Like, I could get one for you for, you know, because they're going to be in stores and we hope they sell really well. So I had a Pong game really early on. So wow. it was always there. And then I think when I kind of knew this is what I wanted to do, being creative, doing gaming, doing voice acting, all of that in one big bundle. Like 1977 was this bellwether year because it's the year that Traveler came out, that game system. It's the year that Dungeons and Dun Dungeons and Dragons came out, that system. It's the year that Star Wars came out in theaters. It's the year the Atari 2600 came out. Like it was just this geek fiesta timeframe. And you know, I was 12 years old at the time, was super influential. And I just wanted to do all that stuff. Spent a lot of years playing in that kind of stuff and doing all the things you do when you're a kid growing up and a young adult growing up and you're running games and playing games with your friends and seeing movies. And, and I was a music major, university voice, and, and I also played in some instruments. And so I think I've always had this desire to be creative and to entertain and i'm very fortunate that i got to make a career out of it did you take a pay cut to work at blizzard i was actually working in desktop publishing at a kinko's copies which are now the fedex copies but this is back before they got bought by fedex i worked third shift i was the manager there doing overnight stuff doing uh you know setting up people's resumes and menus and posters and like all that exciting de desktop publishing stuff. I had a friend who was an artist who worked at Blizzard. Uh, this guy, Stu Rose, still in the industry. Uh, and he said, hey, we've, we've got some stuff we need done. The company's taking on a bunch of work and you know we're having to contract some stuff out. The first thing I did there was uh, they actually brought me in to do music for the PC version of Blackthorn, which was kind of a side side-scrolling shooter there's a blizzard pack you can get it's like on sale on um on like playstation right now which has like these archive like 30-year archive things there's a it's about a guy with a gun going back into his fantasy world he was from but he has a shotgun now you know classic storytelling in video games <laughs> uh, so i did music for the pc version of that because glenn stafford who headed the music department was 
too busy working on this other game that they were working on that was going to be their first really big release that wasn't licensed. It was like their original creation. And they, at the same time, needed some voiceover for a presentation video they were doing about this game. So I kind of got the lowdown from my buddy Stu and I sent in an audition tape doing some different voice ideas. And so they brought me in and I sat down next to Glenn and he brought up this video that at the time, right now, this is like 1994. So it was like amazing video right now. It's like maybe Minecraft quality, maybe, maybe, but you know, at the time it was incredible. And you're flying through these trees up to a castle and they're like, here's, what we're going to talk about how there's orcs and there's humans and they're fighting. And I said, is there, is there, is there anything that you can uh, like to do with this? Is there like a script? How do I do it? like, no, no, we don't really know. So I'm quickly writing script in there for this. And that turned to in the age of chaos, two factions battled for dominance. Uh, and so I had to do all the, I did the Warcraft voices um, for that video that led to after finishing my contract on Blackthorn, I wrote a letter to um, Alan Adham, who was the president uh, at the time of Blizzard and Mike Morheim, who was the VP at the time and said, I really want to work here. This is what I want to do. I'll do anything. I'll do customer service. I'll run your bulletin board. I'll, I promised Alan I would wash his new car they just got. I promised Mike I would give him a Rock Hydra because they were like really rare because this is like alpha. This is like, a, you know, right when Magic came out. I just like, I'll do anything. I'll do anything to work here. And they said, yeah, you know, we, we, we like what you did. We like your, you know, your off the fly writing and you seem like you get it. And we're not really sure exactly what we're gonna have you do, but you know, we, we, need, we need some creative people in here. So we're gonna bring you in. So I got to quit my job at Kinko's and take a pay cut to go work at Blizzard Entertainment because it was still about six months or five months before the original Warcraft Orcs and Humans came out. So they didn't have a ton of money, you know, and they, but I didn't care. <laughs> I just wanted to work there and I just wanted to make, I just wanted to make games. So yeah, that's the, that's the long story of how I took a pay cut doing people's menus and resumes to go work for what became a pretty big video game company. I think that it worked out. I think, I think you did. I think you did. Okay. I think you made the right decision. Yeah, I, I think so too. Question number two. What do you wish you had known when you started out? Oh, that's a great question. I wish that I had known how lucky I was going to be to be able to have the opportunity to work with so many incredibly talented people and on so many fantastic projects. I think because if I would have realized that earlier, I would have done even more than I did to catalog it in some way, to, to take more pictures early on, to save more stuff early on. I'm a big saver. I save lots of things, you know, especially if I see a project coming to an end and something's going to get thrown out or they're like, oh, we're clearing these things out. And I always try to grab little things. And in fact, when I was at Blizzard at one point, and this was still pretty early, I suggested that we start saving stuff as a company. I'm like, who knows what's going to happen with this? Maybe we're going to get huge. Maybe like, you know, and someday we're going to wish we had all these things. So I got a storage room and I started just like putting things in the storage room and getting them to do that, which is great. I, I went back a, a handful of years ago 
to visit the campus, right? The Blizzard campus in Irvine, which is amazing and incredible. And they have a massive statue of Thrall and just, just like the most unbelievable campus that Blizzard has now for development. And they had a display out that was, I think this is when they were at like the 20 year anniversary or something of StarCraft. And so they had this display out that showed a bunch of original artwork and there was a disc, a StarCraft disc that got sent to, uh, sent up uh, in a shuttle on a shuttle mission because the astronaut really loved playing StarCraft. And so they have this plaque that has the disc that went to space in it. Um, that's on basically on loan from NASA is the way that it's worded. So I guess because it went to space, NASA owns it. So they can ask for it back at any time. But anyway, Blizzard has it. And Mike was showing me around and he said, you know, the only reason we do all this and have all this stuff is because you made us do it like 20 years ago. Wow. And, and that was that was really meaningful. And I think if I would have known how things would have gone over the last 27 years, I would have pulled more things aside for myself. I would have made sure I had, you know, more tangible elements to support those memories. Mm. And I think it's because really video games especially are so ephemeral, right? We, we create digital things and release them digitally. And that's become even more so, right? Like I have some boxes and I've got some discs and I have some physical artifacts of my work but it's very different than even if you're doing like a tabletop RPG and you have a book that's been printed, right? Or you've got figures if you if you go down that route. But you know, the more we've gone to e-commerce, the more we've gone to direct digital sales, the less and less of those physical artifacts remain. Um, and I think that's the thing I would have. <laughs> I would have a very full garage of just <laughs> stuff. If I go back in time and tell myself something, it'd be like you know, hey, get one of everything and just put it someplace. What's your prized item in your collection from those days? I guess there's kind of things from each of the companies I've been at from the Blizzard days. You know, I have some like original boxes of the games we shipped. I do have like a Warcraft Orcs and Humans box, you know, with a disc in it. Like I, I there were some things I pulled aside and managed to keep over the years. Um, weird little things that we did, like we made watches for Starcraft in South Korea at one point, and I've got like one or two of those in the little metal cases and things like that. So there's like odd things like that. One of the things I have that I really cherish just because of the, the connections that ended up meaning in my life um, is I have one of the original pitch packets that the crew at, at that time, the company was called Condor. They later became Blizzard North when they were out originally pitching Diablo. And this is, they were saying, hey, here's a game you want to make. And it's, you know, this pitch packet and it's all, it's some, some drawings, but it's mainly just words of how it's going to work. And, you know, it was the thing they were shopping around when uh, we met them and decided to work with them uh, to bring Diablo to life. And, you know, later on, I then went and founded a company called Flagship Studios with Dave Brevik and Eric Max Schaefer and a bunch of the Blizzard North crew. And that has just, you know, evolved into a, not just a lifelong working relationship, but like friendships, you know, uh, with those folks. So that's kind of this great bridging moment, actually having that one of those original pitch docs yeah. um, is really cool. You know, from flagship copies of the games are always nice to have just because it's kind of a reminder of a thing you did, even if they don't run anymore, which is a, a weird thing we're starting to run into now, <laughs> right? That maybe you don't have a machine that can actually, you know, run it or an operating system. 
But I have some things that were just keepsakes of the studio. Like I have a couple of plaques that we had up in the studio. That's like the logo, but printed on something that we put up on a wall, you know, because that was the first time I'd ever started anything. That's kind of special to have. It's really interesting. I, I think where I kind of got my head around saving stuff, really, like trying to find really cool, unique stuff to save was when I was at Disney. Um, just because, you know, if you if you can, you know, they're very particular about what gets saved and what doesn't. But there's definitely times where they'll put things together for a trade show or you're building a prototype of something. And then they're just like, okay, well, we're not going to use it anymore and we don't want to pay for storage. When Disney Infinity shut down, for example, there was some stuff that I literally saved off of the scrap heap. Like they were on their way to the bin and I was like, no, nah, I'm going to, I'll keep that. Wow. So, you know, like a couple posters and a couple prototype pieces for reader bases and things like that. And those are things that are really special. It could be anything, but when you look at it, it brings back that memory, mm-hmm. right? Of, of something that was meaningful, um, whether it was that you built or where you were or the people you were with. And so those are the kind of those totemic objects I look to from my time there that I I managed to hang on to. Question number three. What is your go-to order at your favorite hometown restaurant? And I know since you're an avid gamer, we could talk about uh, snacks or I I know you Happy Jacks uh, folks love love your liquor. So whatever, (laughs) whatever comes to mind, whatever, whatever you're thinking about, just lay it on us. So I had the opportunity, my family and I, my wife and our son, to spend, after I left Disney, we were in London for about two years, and I was working at a company there called Improbable. And we started this kind of family tradition of Fish and Chip Friday. And there was a local chippy that we went to, and we lived in North Hampstead, and then another one we got delivery from, we were in Chiswick, and it's like all. So we moved back to the States, and we're in, we're in Washington now we've kept that tradition going. So like, I still look forward to fish and chip Fridays. And we're really lucky that we found one of our local restaurants near us that does like actually really good fish and chips, Oh, right on. Um, like proper fish and chips. So uh, we, we still do that. That's the go-to Friday rolls around. There's no question about what we're going to have for supper. Like it's going to be fish and chips. Um, that's always the case. Uh, if it's in the Happy Jacks vein, if it's uh, if it's beer for me, it's Guinness. That's my favorite, or a, or a really 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 hoppy IPA. That's the other thing I really love. Stu and I, who's the kind of founder of Happy Jacks, we both really love the overhopped beer. So either one of those is great for me. And if it's uh, something a little with a little more kick to it, uh, then it's a single malt, which is I really came to. I think really admire and love again while we were in London as a birthday gift. My wife gave me a membership to uh, the Scotch oh, Scotch whiskey club that you basically would go in. You could go into his upstairs and you have the membership card. You came in and then they just have, you know, these tasters from all these different casks and they're from major distilleries, but they're like specialty pours or, one-offs that they've done for this club. And so they don't actually have the name of what distillery they're from. They're just by number. And you had to start kind of learning um, either through tribal knowledge of people that have been members for a long time or just kind of building up your own taste buds. 
that like this number range is probably from like Islay and this number range might be Glen Morangi. And like, so it became this almost puzzle game on trying to figure out like, where do I think that specialty pour is from? Um, Which is probably why I enjoyed it so much too, (laughs) because it had a little game element to it. Those are my big go-tos. I guess the last one is if it's sweets, I'm a, I'm a sucker for cherries and chocolate. So I, though I'm really, really trying not to do any of that right now. <laughs> Got to fight that COVID weight that I put on. Question number five. What are you curious about? Oh God, what am I not curious about? It's a good question. You got good questions, man. I am always curious about why people make the choices they do. To put that in a gaming context, I find, I was thinking about this this morning, there's like four things that run through my mind when I play a game about the development team or the, the designers, or whatever it is. There's one like, will be like, why did they do that? Because I'll play something and it's like, why did they do that? It didn't make any sense. Or like, uh, or the another one will be, um, why didn't they do that? Right. Something will come up. It seems like, oh, they made this choice. I wonder why they didn't do this other thing. Um, And that could be in a story like, you know, or when you're role playing with somebody and they go left and not right. And you're like, I wonder why they did that. Like, I really wonder what why that is. I think another thing that I I get curious about when I'm gaming will be will will say something like, like, wow, that's really smart. Right. And then I'm one, like, it's a really smart game mechanic, or that's a really smart design decision. Or that's a really smart storytelling device, mm. right? Like really clever, um, really engaging. And then I branch at that point. And I think, I think if I was making this, I would have got there. Like I'll, <laughs> I'll kind of then apply that to myself or I'll say, oh, well, I'd have never gone there. And those, those are the ones that I think intrigue me the most and I get the most excited about. And I'm like, I wonder why they made that choice. That was really cool. I'd have never done that. Mm. Like I'd have never made that choice. It's interesting. One of the things that I'm, I'm looking forward to at whenever the end of the current campaign I'm running is. One of the things I'm looking forward to is then sitting down in kind of a, a post-game breakdown with all the players to say, okay, here's these moments where these things happened in the game, your character made this choice or you as a group decided these things. Why did you do that? Cause I'm, cause like, I did not expect that. Mm. And it was amazing. Right. I feel really fortunate to be trying to herd this particular group of creative cats in this game because they go places I am not ready for, which is super exciting. Right. And that's one of the things I love the most about tabletop RPGs is the fact that it is so collaborative and so interactive in the truest sense. It's something you really can't achieve, at least yet, in video games, right? You, you try, even in a sandbox game, where you try to give the broadest path for people to walk, you're kind of still having to get them to a destination. And you try to have guardrails that are as big as possible. You're trying to make a sandbox as big as you can, but it's still a sandbox. There's still edges. They're still going to have to get to some point. Tabletop RPGs have at least a lot more freedom with that. You know? And I think that's always the challenge as GMs we run into is how much do you prepare, 
right? Because it's I've 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 played players at cons with GMs as a player, and uh, the fast story I'll tell is really funny. As friend of mine Tyler was running a game, and he had this whole it was all going to come to this big point where we were going to have to fight this demon, and we came up with this like completely strange workaround to not have to engage with the demon at all, but still come to the solution that we needed to like complete this mission. And so we did that. We like, I, as I recall, like we, we buried him in, like we sealed him into this tomb and they were like, oh, okay, great. Well, we've got the thing we wanted and we need to find him. So we're going to go back. And he just sat there and was like, and he reached in his bag and pulled up this whole sheet and right up. He's like, well, I'm not going to use that guy. Right. So, which is amazing, but that's the memory and that's the story that sticks with you. Right. And that's a thing that I, I want to know the thing I'm curious about is those moments where those things happened in a game, like how, how did you get there? Hmm. Right. Uh, that's why I love to read, read postmortems why I like to hang out and have beers with other game designers, you know, and if there's a thing they did that I'm like, so you, you made this system or you made this choice or you created this character or this item or whatever it is. And it was really cool. Like walk me through your process. What got, what got you there? If you're a writer, you always read, right? If you're a filmmaker, uh, you're always watching movies, right? And experimenting. If you're a tabletop or video game designer, you need to be playing games and then just trying stuff because that's how we learn. So that curiosity feeds you no matter how long you've been doing it or how old you are. Question number five. Is there anything I should have asked but didn't. Uh, probably. <laughs> I don't know. That's always an interesting thought process because I'll do that too. I do that a lot when I'm interviewing people mm-hmm. for a job, right? If they're going to come like work at a, stud- a studio that I'm at and I'm part of the hiring process, I'll have my questions that I ask and then things that come up naturally. Conversation like, is there is there something I should have asked you that I didn't? Mm-hmm which is a weird question for someone to get. Cause you're like, Oh, maybe, but depending on what that is, maybe, <laughs> maybe I don't want you to know what you should have asked. Right. But I think that's part of the, um, that's part of the process of then building relationships, right? If you knew everything at the beginning, then you'd have nowhere to go. Right. You wouldn't know anything. It's really funny when my wife and I were first just dating and I was, you know, we're talking about like, yeah, well, I'm not perfect. You know, and she said, if you were perfect, that'd be really boring. And I wouldn't really be interested. That's like, that's amazing. Right. Because it's, it's what you don't know. It's the imperfections, right. That make life worth going through that, that kind of path of discovery. So there may be things, I don't know, should have asked, could have asked, not sure. But I think, uh, you know, what will be more interesting is now that we have met and now that we're doing this, I anticipate it's not like I'm never going to talk to you ever again. And over time, you're going to come up with, you know, something that sparks a thought and a question, and then, then you can ask it then. So fortunately we are not time bound by these minutes that we are sharing. And as you have more questions, you will ask them. You betcha. And I got a couple. (laughs) (laughs) All right. One, is it true? I guess this would be like five points. Uh, so is it true that you saw Braveheart with Gary Gygax? Gygax, yes. excuse me. 
That is true. We were talking, uh, this is a blizzard. It was after we had released the first Warcraft. We were talking about what we we're going to do next. We were looking at maybe we could do something with, you know, some game designers or some licenses. And amongst several people we talked about, we talked to Gary Gygax about doing something with Gary, whether that was D&D or not D&D, you know, didn't really matter as much. It was just, we thought it'd be really cool to work with Gary Gygax. And we had a kind of day, you know, worth of meetings and seeing what he was doing post TSR and all this stuff. And then we said, hey, you know, the whole company is going to go see this new movie that's just come out called Braveheart. Do you want to go? It's about William Wallace. He's like, oh, yes, yes, I'll go with you guys. So we went to the movie with Gary Gygax and I got to sit next to him for some reason. I don't know how I got that lucky, but it was awesome. And we watched the movie. And then afterwards, he like regaled us with all the historical inaccuracies. Wow. Um, which is which was amazing right he's like well you know william William wallace really already was a lord like he's just going through because he just knew all this stuff which was fantastic one of those like tiny little moments i feel very fortunate to have had um you know to at least be able to say yeah yeah you know it's like weirdly yeah i think your guys we could just sit down and watch braveheart together (laughs) (laughs) fabulous that's awesome i do have another question um what is epoxy bogard uh, the Poxy Boggards are a group that uh, of uh, we like to call ourselves uh, drinkers with a singing problem. And uh, my roommate uh, from university, Stu Vettable, who's also the guy who started Happy Jack's RPG podcast and now Network and you know everything that uh, the amazing gaming lies to be there. Uh, we were roommates in college, and he had started doing the Renaissance Fair in Southern California. Um, with another group. And he said, you know, it's not out there. There's no like all men singing group during doing what would have been like the popular pub music of the time. Everything out there are these beautiful madrigals or you know, mixed chorus stuff, but nobody's doing the body, you know, raunchy music from the era. And he said, I think I want to do that. I'm like, I'm in, let's do it. So we got four other guys together and went out and we started just by singing in kind of open environmental spaces. One of the, the, those groups out there, which is called the Green Man Inn, kind of took us in and said, yeah, you guys can perform her. So we would stand on a table that faced the street. And as people went by in the streets, we would sing at them. Um, <laughs> really not to them, more at them, I think is, is accurate. The same year that the, the, the Boggard started is the same year I got into video games, which is kind of interesting, which makes like 1994, this other bellwether year in my life. And the band is still together started getting together uh, down in Southern California. So I'm not there, obviously, uh, getting together and rehearsing again and, you know, gearing up to, to play. We put an album out, I think like right before the pandemic, we did a couple of videos, distance videos while we were all sheltering in place. It's a little strange because we're, you know, talking about what's going to be on the next album when tours, you know, when we're not tours, but when we're going to perform out again as a group. And I've always been the one that even though I founded the band, I've traveled a lot. I've lived in Northern California and then I was in London for a couple of years. So like, I'm the guy who always just like says a lot of stuff in our Slack channel and says like, Hey, we should do this. And have we thought about that? And here's some artwork or whatever. And then I just like show up sometimes and perform at this point. (laughs) So, but uh, I'm OB, I'm original Boggard. So I get to do that. And the guys are always very gracious in allowing me to come in and sing what I know and fumble through what I don't. Uh, but yeah, that's been a, that's been a, like, it's been a very, very long musical event. 
if you'd have talked to me when I was in university and a commercial music major and playing a lot of jazz and stuff, and you just said like your most successful longest term musical gig is going to be singing with a bunch of drunk idiot guys about, you know, women and beer, I would have thought you were nuts. But uh, life takes interesting turns. That it does. Actually, I got one more. Are you developing a tabletop RPG right now? Uh, I am. I'm working on a, a, a couple things. So last year, in the age of stay at home and go nowhere, my wife and I started a, a tabletop company called Wonder Monkey. And we put out a supplement for Traveler. I love Traveler. To fit within the their core uh, universe that they have, but it introduces the ideas of basically these uh, Knights of Solaris, which is absolutely totally not Jedi and Sith, uh, but they have sun swords and they have Solaris powers they can use. So basically, yeah, it's very much having that idea of having uh, space wizards because I don't know, I just like it seemed like a fun thing to do. That was just to kind of get the company up and running. We're currently working on a board game and I've just started writing a tabletop RPG a fantasy setting, but actually I think the thing that I want to try is to use some of the base character creation mechanics from Traveler. Because one of the things interesting about gaming is that um, you can't copyright mechanics. It's really weird, right? That's why you see so many games that are like, oh, you click to move and it has a health bar and a mana bar and all these games that, that kind of riff off each other is because characters, settings, um, names, like a lot of things can be owned and they're part of an intellectual property, but actually game mechanics themselves aren't. I did at one point in any case um, contact Mongoose, which is the pub publisher for Traveler uh, 2.0 edition and said, hey, I wanted to use the rule set. Do you guys have a you know, like, but in different settings, some of the core concepts on how characters are generated and things like that. Do I need, you know, is it a licensing to do? And they were like, oh, no, <laughs> have to. If you want to release it like with us or tie into the Traveler's Aid Society, then there's ways you have to do that, which is what we did for the Knights of Solaris book. One of the things I love about Traveler is character creation is a game within the game. It's to me a lot like life. You have an idea of what you want to be. And then you go through the character creation process and life happens. Mm. And there's a lot of random events, tables that you roll on. And sometimes you fail out of a career or sometimes you get injured or sometimes you have a different opportunity that shows up and maybe you take that. And I find that by the end of the character creation process, you have this very well-rounded character at the very least in terms of story and how they connect to the other players. Because the thing you really do is you make all the characters at the same time around the table and there's a mechanic to where you make connections to other players as you're doing character generation so when you start to sit down for your first session you know of actually playing through whatever the gm is you know laid out for you you already have reasons why you all know each other and trust each other and there's some relationships that have been built up kind of over the the first 30 or so years of your character's life right it's it's very much more along the lines that you come into the setting being experienced, being somewhat exceptional, right? You know, I mean, D&D &D is very much like, oh, you're exceptional, but you're first level, right? So it feels like I'm, I'm any number of somebody's out there <laughs> trying to make my way through, you know, through the world. Um, and maybe I'll, I'll become something, which is why, you know, leveling is such a, a vital part of the D&D &D experience. Traveler is less about that. It's more about the storytelling and it's more about 
what you gain along the way. I find character advancement tends to happen more through upgrading your gear or in travelers like getting a spaceship or paying that off or whatever it is. So I wanted to take some of those concepts, but put them into a fantasy setting that I've had in the back of my head for a while. So that's the thing that I am right now working on in the RPG space. Question number six. If you could create a new holiday, what would it commemorate? If I could just create a new holiday, I would want it to commemorate, God, like something we don't have, which is just this sense of real equality and fairness and brotherhood, sisterhood, however you want to think of that, peoplehood. Mm. You know, we're so divided right now. It's one of the things I've always loved about games is that anyone should be able to, can sit down and play. And, you know, you have a common rule set and everyone's ideas are welcome at the table. Everyone is welcome at the table. Yeah. Having some day that was a reflection of that being a reality. So I'm, I'm bending your question in some ways, I think you're, uh, but welcome to me you know, would, would be amazing. And I think that, you know, we in, in the world, in the U S certainly, you know, feel more divided than ever. And there's just things that I'm always glad to see people becoming aware of saddened that they weren't already. Right. I had a good friend of mine was like, Oh, have you heard about this Juneteenth thing? I'm like, yeah, man, that's a thing. Like, you know, that none of us were taught in school. And there's just so many elements of that that are a part of who we are as a people, who we are as a nation, who we are as a world, you know, and if there was a holiday that was like international, the shit's real day, I don't know what I would call it, but just where like everyone understands and acknowledges what's occurred and then has this dedication of saying like, that's, we need to change that would be, it would be an amazing holiday that might be beyond the stretch of my magical abilities to generate a holiday. I think as a, as a tiny microscopic start, I would have election day be a national holiday. That seems like a super easy place to take a tiny baby step towards some sort of providing a foothold for, you know, equality, at least in voting rights and accessibility to the polls and things. The fact that it isn't is absolutely bananas to me, right? How is it that just November 4th isn't, isn't a national holiday? No one has to go to work. You can go and, and vote. And I know we've got mail-in voting and there's a lot of other ways to tackle it that especially came to the forefront in COVID, not to get super political. Uh, but like that's, that's something that's fundamental about what we get to do. And so making that accessible to people, right? And to, to bring it right around, like just like gaming, like it the more people that get to do it, honestly, the better it is. Yeah. It's gatekeeping is terrible. Like I hate it when I see it in gaming. I hate it when I see it in fandoms, right? I hate it when I see it in music, right? Anywhere. It's like, if you loved this character, that's great because then you loved the thing, right? I could not like the character, right? Maybe I'm not a big Jar Jar fan and I'll make, jokes about Jar Jar but if you love Jar Jar and that's what brought you into Star Wars 
welcome friend. That's amazing, right? So yeah, uh, International Not Gatekeeping Day. Maybe I don't know something along those lines. I'm rambling a lot now, but that's such a that's a that's a fantastic question. The final word. If you have an idea, make it. There has been no better time to exercise your creativity. If you have an idea for a song, there's a million ways to to get that done and get it out there. Right. It used to be this philosophy of music where it's like, well, the thing you have to do is make sure you copyright your music because, of, but you know what, if no one hears it, it doesn't matter. Right. So just like get it done, put it out there. If you've got an idea for a book, just start writing. You know what? It's pro- if it's the first time you've written, maybe it's going to be absolute crap, but that doesn't matter. You got to do it. You got to exercise the muscles. If you have an idea for a tabletop game, just start making it, you know, just start. Uh, if you have an idea for a video game, uh, there's so many ways to go about actually trying to build it and make it, you know, or find other people that are of a like mind like you. Like the one thing I'm terrible at is actually I'm not a programmer. So I get to a certain point where I'm like, okay, now uh, because of the fortunate circumstances I found myself in, I then usually can say like, oh, now I'll find somebody to program this and somebody to draw it. Um, but I'm realizing now with my son, he just turned five, he's really into designing like ideas for games and he'll sit down with me and he'll come up with characters and a, and a world setting and all this stuff. And he's like, I'm like, Oh, this is great. This is great. And I'll, you know, we'll have little drawings. We'll do He's like, Oh, so when are you going to make it? I So uh, we've done all the stuff that data usually does. And now is when I would, you know, work with other people. He's like, oh, well, but when can we play this? And I've kind of realized that even at my years, I, I've got to go pick up a new skill set because I want to make these funny little games my kid wants, right? And I'm not sure I'm going to go spin up a company to do it or suck down the time of my engineers and artists to do it, you know, at, at our studio. So I, I guess I guess I better figure it out. There's just there's just so many ways you want to be a filmmaker. Like you can grab your camera and shoot footage now. It's just insane, right? with higher quality than five years ago, you would have gotten if you would have went out and bought an expensive piece of gear. So if you are creative, you have an idea, just start doing it. Don't let yourself fall into the trap of it's not going to be good. I don't know how I would ever get it out to people. I don't know if I'm talented enough, right? Like you just got to kick imposter syndrome in the teeth and just do it. One of the greatest things I learned, I think, at Disney, got to spend a lot of time because of what we did in Infinity, especially the first one at Pixar, and you know, met with some of, I think, the most creative people on the planet up there. Ed Catmull, who's the president at, at Pixar, was giving a talk that I got to go to. And one of the things he said was, every Pixar movie is absolute shit right up until the minute it isn't. And I was like, Wow, because like they make incredible stuff, but they recognize that when they start their process, it's not good. They just they're just getting ideas onto the screen. They're just making things. And then they trust themselves that at some point it, they'll work it out. They'll figure it out. It'll get better. And the first stuff they made probably wasn't even that great when they got it to the point where they let it out. But that's the process. So if you have a thing you want to do, no matter 
you know, what media it's in or what genre it's in and it's creative, just do it, just go for it. Um, because the biggest regret you'll have are the projects that you don't try. Thank you, Bill. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you. This is a blast. So I, I, you have, you have, you have very thought inspiring questions. So I appreciate that. And I appreciate you for tuning in to another episode of Demand Does The Six Questions. And if you'd like to show your appreciation, please get on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Podchaser and leave a five-star rating and review. It helps the show get seen more so people can join the conversation. And until next time, test negative and stay positive.